Hi, I'm Adam Phillips, and I love comics. Sure, I love superhero comics, but I also love comics that are funny, or romantic, or educational, or even kind of filthy. Some have been around for decades, but I have a special place in my heart for the ones that came and went in the blink of an eye. We call them one-shots, and some of them you may have heard of, while others might make you ask, why? This is One-Shot Wonders. We have a special episode of One-Shot Wonders this afternoon. I'm very excited. This is our first episode with a guest star, and that guest star is the fabulous cartoonist Fred Hembeck, who I worked with years back when he was a regular contributor to Marvel Age magazine. But I uh, first got to know Fred's work in the Comics Buyer's Guide, where he was a regular contributor with Dateline Cusswords, and I look forward to that every week. I think you were in every issue, right? Yes. Yeah. And you went on to do lots and lots of work from DC, Marvel, Pops. Your buyer's guide work was collected by Fantico. You did work for First and Archie and Eclipse and really just about any comics company you can name. And you are also, he was also the creator of some great characters like the dog, Bafo the Clown, and Mr. Mumbo Jumbo, a personal favorite. And I'll also recommend... Everyone should buy the nearly complete essential Hembeck Archives Omnibus because it is almost 1,000 pages of hilarity. It's a great buy, and, you know, it's practically a phone book, but much funnier. And you can also still get the Marvel Universe, according to Fred Hembeck, which compiles an awful lot of his Marvel work from the 80s and 90s, mostly, right? Correct, yep. Yeah. And lastly, I'll mention that there's a great website with a lot of cool information, hembeck.com. Anyway, we are here today to talk about the Fantastic Four Roast, which came out in February of 1982, so, you know, a few years back. But, Fred, I wanted to start off by talking to you a little about your relationship to the Fantastic Four, because I know you were an early fan of the series, and good on you for being there from the beginning almost. Can you tell us about when you when you discovered them? Uh, I discovered them uh, with the fourth issue. Amazing. I had been reading, uh, first I had started reading Harvey-type comics and then graduated to uh, the Superman and other DC heroes in 1961. But I kind of avoided the Marvel comics because they look kind of weird, creepy, <laughs> Atlas monster books. So I hadn't bought any of those, but I, I got sick and had the uh, scarlet fever, which I'm not too bad a case, but I, I wasn't allowed to go into my, the store where I normally buy my comic books. Uh, so on the way home from um, a uh, doctor's visit, I sent my mom in and I said, you know, ho hold the comics up to the window because the rack was right by the window and we parked right in front of the window. <laughs> uh, at the store, and she held up some some comics, and I remember recognizing the Blackhawk logo. And I said, "Okay," and gave her a thumbs up for that one. And she held up the Fantastic Four, and that logo looked so so strange to me. It almost looked like a circus advertisement. I, I paused for a second, and I said, "But okay, thumbs up." And I and she bought that one. From that point on, it was Marvel Comics. Wow. Well, that's a great issue to start with, of course, because to me, at least. That's kind of where the Marvel Universe begins to build. 
you know, you bring back the Submariner and suddenly yep. it's like, there's a history. It's not just these four new adventurers. That's, that's so true. When I first got that comic, I thought that, uh, looking at the cover, I thought the thing was the bad guy. And I said, why is this nice looking guy running off with the, with the lady? Is, isn't he one of the heroes? <laughs> so I was, uh, it was, you know, after we'd Superman and, and all those DC comics, it kind of took me uh, aback seeing, uh, how the thing could be, uh, one of the good guys. Right. And I have to assume, like most of us, you stuck with the Fantastic Four for many years to come. I mean, that original run is, you know, yet to be beaten, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And there are echoes of it. We'll, I'm going to come back to this in a little bit. There are echoes of it in the Fantastic Four roast. So you're a working cartoonist in the late 70s, early 80s. How did you hear that this project was a thing or were you invited to sort of say, hey, I want to come up with a, an idea? Or wh- wh- what was the pitch? Well, it, it was not my idea. Jim Shooter called me up one day and said that they wanted to do this uh, Fantastic Four roast project to celebrate the Fantastic Four's 20th anniversary. And he said that he had some other writer working on it. To this day, I don't know who that was. Ah. I don't know if he wasn't comfortable with it or if the writer wasn't comfortable with it. So he, he thought that he'd ask me if I'd like to take a shot at it. And, of course, I said, yeah, certainly. So uh, that's how I, you know, got the job. And, I mean, I'm, I have to assume you also watched a lot of celebrity roasts on TV in uh, yeah. that era. I mean, they were everywhere. It seemed like, I don't know, maybe they only ran one a year or something, but it always felt like. You could see them quite frequently. Is that right? Yeah, okay. I mean, I always liked them when I saw them, the, the I like those older ones, like with Dean Martin and Foster Brooks and such, better than the ones now. They're, the ones now, to me at least, are more calculated and cynical feeling. Yeah, I haven't seen any in recent years. But back then, the Dean Martin ones, as well as other, would, would turn up on TV, you know, reasonably regularly. So I would watch them. Sure. And, they, you know, you really capture the tone of that kind of humor in this book. I mean, I also feel like a lot of the jokes and the writing style almost comes more from television than comics, the, the comedy style. Well, yeah, that's true. That, that's my, that's my deal. I, I, <laughs> I was reading comic books as a kid. I watched every sitcom that was on TV. Mm, yeah. Until about 1965 or so. <laughs> Amazing. Right. So this book has about a million artists who worked on it and some of the really best artists of their era and and since then, of course, still. Did you get any say in who was going to draw things, or was it all just a surprise to you? Um, well, they told me that what would happen would be that whoever was, you know, the regular artist on each character's book at that particular time would handle the page in which that character had the focus. Oh, okay. The only page that surprised me was the X-Men page because for years I couldn't figure out who drew it and it turned out it was uh, Dennis Cowan. Right. Very beginning of his career. Yeah, exactly. A regular uh, person didn't do it but uh, I think it was Dave Cockrum at that time. Yeah, and there was according to the credits there is a Dave Cockrum page later in the book. He's on the big pinup. Oh, of course. The pinup. He does some stuff on that. Actually, since we're talking about the pinup, it's a fabulous jam piece. I mean, did you, since you did layouts for the whole book, 
Yep. Did you touch that or was that something that was concocted a different way? No, that was, that was my layout as well. Oh, wow. It's yeah. amazing. It's really be- beautiful. In fact, I think it could have made a, a nice poster. It's not too late. It's not too late. Come on, Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Did you have anyone who you wished were in this that wasn't represented ultimately? Was there anyone you were going like, oh, come on, you got to get this guy on board? Not really. Although in retrospect, after having become you know pretty good friends with, uh, unfortunately, the late Herb Primpy, I kind of feel bad he didn't make it into the book. But sure. on the other hand, Sal Buscema's Hulk page was like, nearly perfect so I, I can't really begrudge it it's a funny funny page and yeah, that's uh, yeah. one of my favorites and he did a great job on it yeah i uh, i'm with you and i love i mean everyone's in their regular costumes except the hulk the hulk dressed up right right and, <laughs> i mean even submariner who really doesn't have a costume he's just got swim trunks he's just in the swim trunks the hulk could have been in the purple pants but no he's in a full tuxedo a purple tuxedo. Yes, a purple tuxedo. So it does at least go with his usual motif. I'm pretty uh-huh. sure it's purple. Yeah, okay. It is. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it on on my computer right now. Oh, okay. You know, I notice on the – you have that great wraparound cover that Terry Austin inked, and on the back cover you've got some of the characters that didn't make it into the pr- book itself, or if they did, maybe they were tiny little background characters, you know, like Deathlock <laughs> and – that was, so that was a fun way to squeeze in yet more characters. Right. There's so much going on here. It's really a lot of fun. And yeah, you got Terry Austin inking this cover, which looks great. He told me he did that like as a rush job, like in a day or so. Ah. You would never know it. No, absolutely not. Very cool. So moving into the book, I'm just going to go through a few of the story segments a little bit. You start with the introduction, which looks almost more like like i i was used to your marvelous work where it was more pen and and uh this looks like a brush thing but you know you kind of introduce the whole story yeah black and white. That's so much the inside front cover yeah exactly yeah. yeah that was during a brief period when i decided i would work with a brush but you know oh <laughs> i managed for a while but i went back to the pen stuff got it yeah well it looks great i mean i thought so Thanks. and then i was going to say before you know the opening of the story with the thing is taking the bath and then and talking about how he's run out of Mr. Bubble and then the human torch is giving him a hard time. It really harkens back to the Fantastic Four at the beginning of like the second half of the Lee and Kirby run. To me, there's almost a shift in what the, how their storytelling worked where like they took more moments to just have like quiet family time of, you know, these guys giving each other a hard time or they're eating a meal or they're deciding where to go on vacation. Um, and that you, you really capture that here and it's lovely. Yeah. Thanks. I, that was something I really loved about the book. Right. I kind of got lost later when everything got so cosmic. Yeah. True. And then now this is a page where, you know, it's a Mike Golden, a great artist, Oh yeah. but there isn't really a specific, character here or a specific book that he was drawing at the time, I guess. Right. But I loved the weird concept of J. Jonah Jameson doing kind of the red carpet thing before there was a red carpet yeah. thing that, you know, every every award show and has to have somebody out front saying, look at how everyone looks. And, you know, Mike Golden did a, a beautiful job of it. But J. Jonah Jameson is such a funny choice for this. 
sure. Got to work the Marvel characters in. Yeah, exactly. And he's such oh, a maniac. And then we kind of go into the the story. You know, you're introducing you're you're sort of the MC for the evening, introducing what's going to happen. And then there's a Spider Man and Human Torch page by, I guess John Romita Jr. and Senior working together. But um, I to believe me, so. Yeah. Yeah, to me, this is a, a page that really screams, you know, Fred Hembeck. It's got that, you know, a nine-panel grid with everything sort of centered. And it's, you know, that's that's a great way to get comedy across in this sort of a setting. What were some of the highlights for you, though, in terms of what you, you know, got to accomplish or how people, like, drew what you were, you know, laying out for them? Yeah, that was uh, quite satisfying. Mm. Interesting thing was that uh, I did all the layouts, but I didn't do all the jokes. I kind of knew where some of the jokes were going, but I didn't have the dialogue for everybody. And the the pages came in not in the order in which they're in the book. And somehow I managed to write the book in in, in whatever order the the pages came in. And it flows, I guess. I mean, I'm. It does. It worked out, but I. That's amazing. I had no idea. And, you know, that's an interesting sort of variant version of the Marvel style, it sounds like, where you were doing kind of the plot, or in this case, rough layouts for the artists, and then scripting from there. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. And and there were some cases where I knew what I was going to do, like with the Hulk. And, uh, but like with the Submariner, I know at a certain point he pours water over his head, and I knew that was going to be some sort of a joke, but I didn't really know what the dialogue was going to be coming and going from that page to the next. Right. The transition. Some of the jokes. So that's so great. And yeah, that, that submariner page, Al Weiss, who yep. I've always, maybe, maybe, you know him really well. I don't know, but I've always found him to be kind of an, an enigma in the field. He's like, his, I always love his work. It's fantastic, but it feels like it's, you know, hard, <laughs> scarce to say the least. True. True. Yeah. I wish he'd, Drew, I wish he would draw more. Um, the Hulk page is so funny. And, you know, the Hulk going up and trying to tell a joke. Yes. Um, in a very, you know, traditional, corny way. It actually reminded me a little of um, uh, when my daughter was really small and it was the 1990s. So, you know, the stand up comedy thing was really going strong. And we were in a toy store. And there was like a toy microphone for kids. And she was like four or something. And she walked up to the toy microphone and said, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Knock, knock. <laughs> I just love the idea of like a stand-up trying to tell a knock-knock joke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With an audience. It's a good one to go with that. Right? I mean, you really crammed in every character. Was there anyone you feel like afterward you went, oh, no, I forgot? Uh... Yeah, you know, somehow the Punisher wasn't in there, but he wasn't popular at that point. Uh, I guess he wasn't, and he certainly isn't the funniest. Yeah, that well, you know, neither was the Hulk, but so. That's true. We could have done something with him. The Hulk tried. <laughs> I mean, I, you take a look at that Avengers page with all the little tiny postage stamp pictures of each character. Yeah, really. That's kind of nuts, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. After you were done with this project, did you feel like others, oh, there's, there's an obvious sequel that you wanted to work on, or was there ever an opportunity for that? I mean, I know you did other projects, but it came a few years later, I think. 
not an obvious one, but I had a couple of ideas that never quite fleshed out, you know? Mm. I don't know if I could do one of those nowadays. Well, I couldn't do one of those now because I don't know what the hell's going on in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I, I hear you. It's complicated, to say the yeah. least. But at least at that point, I was still reading the books, and I and they were manageable. I mean, they right. have seven Spider-Man books and two different guys. You know, it's just so much. So much. It's true. And I hear you. I'm, I don't know if I've mentioned this. I guess probably not. But I'm actually – one of the projects I'm working on now is blogging the entire run of Marvel Age and – you know, when you look at Marvel coming attractions for 1984 or whatever, it's like not that many books. No. It's a bunch, but it's not a lot. Right, right, right. Uh, and, you know, and speaking of which, we worked together on Marvel Age uh, for the couple of years that I was the assistant editor on the on the project. And, uh-huh. you know, you were such a fixture on Marvel Age. I'm actually, like I said, I'm, I'm yes, going through the entire series, and I see where – you're like in every single issue from about number eight or ten through to just about the end, which is 140 issues. Yeah, just one, but that was uh, only one during that whole period of time. Is that right? Wow. And, and then I, I was actually in the maybe three or four issues that remember Marvel Age ended and they came out with something called, uh, you know, I don't know, it's like a focus on Spider Man, yeah. focus on Captain America. Yeah, I did those X Men. And then that went away, and then so did ah. I. Well, you've done a bunch of other good projects, of course. You worked with our friend Jim Salakrop, I guess, at Topps Comics. And, yep. you know, a lot of other places. Uh, what what are you uh, up to these days? These days, I pretty much just uh, draw my own little pictures on sketch cards, put them on eBay, and people buy them, and I'm in a happy I'm happy. That's camp. great. And often Marvel or DC calls me, well, DC recent, most recent thing I had published was uh, in the Star Girl Spring Break special that came out in oh, yeah. May. There was a one page. Uh, it was a parody of Where's Waldo, and it was Where's Stripesy, the Star Spangled Kids uh, <laughs> character, and it had like sixty four Golden Age characters on the beach. And let me tell you, trying to put in sixty four characters on one piece yeah. of paper was was kind of crazy after not having done anything like that in a I long time. But that's so cool that they called you yeah, up at least. Fun. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that. I didn't even realize. Yeah, that snuck out. It's on the last page. It's, <laughs> it's snuck right out. Yeah, I hear you. Very cool. Well, Fred, it has been a pleasure to have you here. And is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Oh, um, that I'm very proud of the Fantastic Four Rose. I'm glad that you know, it's in the last couple of years, it's actually been reprinted three times. Wow. It's, you know, it was in first in that book, House of Ham, which was a smaller version of the book you just talked about, the uh, Marvel Universe, according to Hembeck, mm. which which is cool and all, I'm, both of those. But I guess I was kind of really impressed that they put it in one of the Marvel Masterworks hardcovers. Really? That is awesome. <laughs> It's in the one, the very first one that has all the John Byrne Fantastic oh, okay. Four uh, stories. And, you know, his his issues are in there, and then at the very end, there's mine. I get, well, you know, John had three pages in there, so I guess they figured we got to stick this in there. But I feel, you know, people may not be buying the uh, Hembeck universe thing, but people who are buying Fantastic Four will have to see this eventually <laughs> when they get there. 
So that was. That's kind of I don't weird. have that Fantastic Four Masterworks, but I've got the um, Fantastic Four by John Byrne Omnibus. Yeah, I'd heard about that. It's not in there. Did, what? What's it? It's not in there. No, it's not. No, I thought it, somebody told me they put a couple of the pages in there, but I didn't get that either. Well, they they were nice enough to send me a free copy of the hardcover because I kind of had stopped collecting those after the Kirby. Run. Oh, sure. No, that's cool. Well, that's great. Well, I appreciate your time, Fred. I appreciate your interest. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So uh, all the best to you, and we will Thank you. maybe uh, we'll find another opportunity to talk uh, uh, one of these days about another one-shot that you worked on. I'm full of one-shots, let me tell you. <laughs> all right, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to One Shot Wonders. I'll be back next week with another one-shot comic. Meanwhile, hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, tell your friends, and go buy some comics.